Gary, fantastic to see you on Real Vision. Same, my friend. Thank you. There's, look, there's a lot to talk about. Firstly, just for some people, just a bit of your background would be fantastic. How you got to where you are now. And then we'll dig into what you're really up to now and where we're going. You know, very classic, um, you know, kind of Americana immigrant, Eastern European story. Family is from Belarus in the Soviet, in the former Soviet Union. We immigrated here in the late 70s, uh, 78, December of 78, right before 79. Very tough kind of first three, four, five years, you know, studio apartments in Queens, you know, no cars, walking five miles to Kmart you know, <laughs> scrapping. Uh, my sister was born in the States the first year we were here. So it was just a very, you know, hardcore upbringing, East Coast, Queens, Dover, and then Edison, New Jersey in 1982, where I really kind of, you know, started my American journey, I would say. Um, lived there for the next eight years before I moved to another part of New Jersey. My dad, during that time, went from being a stock boy in a liquor store to a store manager to eventually buying his own shop. I had very much discovered who I was in Addison, New Jersey, lemonade stands, baseball cards, shoveling snow, you know, just incredibly intuitive to entrepreneurship and selling and buying and working. It was as fun for me to work, you know, shoveling snow and washing cars as it was to play sledding and playing football or baseball. So um, got into my teenage years, started working at my dad's liquor store all the time because, uh, you know, oldest son of a first-generation immigrant family as a merchant. Uh, fell in love with people collecting wine. That was a big breakthrough for me, that people actually collected wine the way I collected sports cards. And that started a, you know, 20 year passion of mine to build a large business for my parents. I was incredibly affected by having a great mother and having a hardworking father. And I was just extremely grateful. Um, and I wanted to give back. And I kind of knew in my late teens, early twenties that I was talented in business. I, I thought it, I knew it. This is a very, di you know, you know this, this was a very different era, the nineties, eighties. Entrepreneurship wasn't as accepted. It wasn't, you know, this was the golden era of school and proper job. That's right. So had a lot of adversity from voices around me, teachers, other friends, parents. I was a DNF student and being told that I would never be anybody, that I was That no, was loser. all about the credentials at that point. That's right. You know, if you didn't have a degree or whatever, you were nobody. That's right. And uh, luckily, I had a mother who didn't make me feel that way. And that was enough, you know all the voices versus hers. And that, and then I also, I also had an, a, a real mission. I really, really wanted to accomplish what I'm grateful that I was able to, which was have a substantial impact on my family's business. And I did that and built my dad's business from a four to a $65 million a year business. And then kind of embarked on my own at 34. You know, Family businesses don't pay super well, so I didn't really make a lot of money in my 20s and early 30s, which is why a lot of my content speaks about patience. I lived it. I really didn't have a lot of money. Uh, made some very smart investments with the money I was able to save in those 13 years in Facebook, Twitter, and Tumblr as early high-risk angel investments. Changed the course of my career in a lot of ways. Um, and then my brother was graduating college. We wanted to do business together, and we decided... 
on a client service business, which, you know, at that point, a lot of my smart friends, including Mark Zuckerberg and others, thought was not a good idea, wasn't the highest way to make money, wasn't starting a VC firm, wasn't starting a company. But I was completely convinced that I wanted to build a communications death star, as I called it. I wanted to build what is today now VaynerX, you know, a global Mexico City, Singapore, London, New York, LA, over 1,300 employee, multi-hundred million dollar a year revenue business that really gives me a foundation. V Friends, which I'm sure we'll get into, you know, Empathy Wines, which was, you know, a substantial six to seven figure exit, depending on how the earnout works. Resi, the restaurant app, nine figure exit. Um, you know, and so, uh, excuse me, empathy, eight or nine figure exit. So, you know, I really, I've built a infrastructure that I think is going to allow me to um, continue to grow and having a business at the size of VaynerX and at the profit that, that VaynerX kicks out as a baseline, as almost a sun, while I create a lot of satellite opportunities where I develop talent where I de- develop a totally different religion of marketing and attention arbitrage and contemporary communication. You saw that early on, right? Social media and the power of it for marketing, the rise of the influencer. You are super early in all of that and have been very influential on other people, I think, in that as well. Yeah, if you read Crush It, which I wrote in 2008 and came out in 2009, it's almost scary how right it is about what ended up happening with influencer marketing. You know, it's it's very similar to, you know, I'm starting to populate some of my 2010, 11 tweets about virtual goods. You know, Farmville was enough for me to see to believe in NFTs. It took an entire full decade before I got much louder about it. But I have incredibly, uh, and this is, you know, I, I, I don't love using the word luck because I think it is then used as an excuse by people who don't want to put in the work. But There is no question I've been gifted, lucky to be gifted with some uncanny understanding of consumer behavior. I just, my friend, if I told you how comfortable I am with guessing what people are gonna do and how often that becomes true, it almost scares me. Now, I don't think the guessing is really guessing, it's that I'm- It's not, you put in your 10,000 hours, right? You're an expert, that's what you do. And even even with this NFT thing, I mean, I probably put in another 200 hours in, in late December, in December through the first, in the first, in the last month of 2020, in the first 100 days of 2021, I spent almost every hour I had on NFT research, going backwards to why did Larva Labs did what they did with punks, what was going on in every Discord, why CryptoKitties, what was happening with Flow, what are the other blockchains besides Ethereum, what's been Ethereum? What's Ethereum been up to since I bought it in 2016? Like just really went back and did a lot of homework before I felt comfortable saying, you know what, I'm gonna talk on this in a much more significant way and let's see where this takes us. Now, let's start your crypto journey first before we dig into all of this. When did that start? You said you bought Ethereum. When, when did you start getting aware of the space? And what did you think it meant then? And then how did that change as you start to see NFTs and the tokenization of everything? There was a very, 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 now looking back, very bougie, very A-list, very very Illuminati group of guys and gals that got together at South by Southwest back in 2000, 
not, uh, 2011, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. And it was, we called it the jam session. And Chris Saka, Travis Kalkinick, founder of Uber, Ashton Kutcher, Mark Cuban, Sophia, girl boss, uh, and Josh, other people, maybe not as crazy names, but MSG and, and Josh Hellman and Aaron Battalion and on and on and on. And Aaron Battalion is the reason that I bought crypto so early. He was the former CTO of Living Social, but he's a true technologist, you know, like a real technical nerd. And, you know, and in a jam session, jeez, you know, uh, quite, quite a long time ago, I listened, didn't say goddamn word for two hours as they talked about Bitcoin. It was the first time I'd heard of it. And it was just so over my head for a couple reasons. Unlike you, my friend, even to this day, my ability, my knowledge, even my passion around currency and let's say financier and financial is quite low. It doesn't, it doesn't grip me. It is not my deep passion or understanding. It doesn't come natural to me. Even like the concepts of central banking or trading currencies, it doesn't come natural to me. Um, and I don't love it. But I was very fascinated by this concept of decentralized servers. It was so profound at the time. So that happened. I, I bought some, you know, maybe six or seven coins. I can't even explain how low it was. It was just nothing. Uh, forgot about it. Came back maybe a year or two later, maybe two years later, jam session again. And this time, Aaron Battalion tells me about Ethereum. And that really caught my attention. Because I remember thinking Bitcoin was really cool and amazing and obviously has gone on to become what it became. And I thought of it as like, okay, that needs to become a central brand, like a Nike, like gold, like like God, like school, like a diploma. That's a Harvard, that's a brand game. And if it wins that brand game, that's gonna win, and, and it, by the way, it went on to do that. Yeah. Uh, Ethereum, I was like, oh, building on top of it, and like the scale, and it really had these almost like Apple versus Android feelings about it, I remember thinking, right? Ooh, Bitcoin can go on to be Apple, and Ethereum could go on to being Android, like a layer for everything else. And so I was very bullish on that, and I bought a bunch of that. I remember right around that same time, my brother AJ and I got a bunch of Dogecoin, like the, for free, or for a hundredth of a hundredth of a cent, and that was like a period of being hot on it. And, and then I would only check in when a tweet or an article for the next two or three or four years caught my attention. I was not going, you know, I was very deep in my business. I was very deep in, in content and social media arbitrage. It wasn't where I was spending my energy. I, I, Crypto Kitties caught my attention later on. And I was like, that really, in the same way that I'm very hot now, the same reason I'm like, ooh, collectibles and trading. Also I was because, like, and I think what's really interesting about your story is you didn't come at this from finance. You came at it seeing different stuff. And I think this is correct. important because this is, I think, where the future lies. So Crypto Kitties, you see that, you're a marketing guy, and you start to think. And I start to think, I know why people will buy that. If this becomes like Bitcoin, the difference between an NFT and, let's say, a currency is there's a social signaling and a need to communicate it that is by default. When you say to somebody, when you drive a Mercedes Benz or you wear a Rolex or you wear a 4,000 pair of sneakers, you don't have to say something to say something. 
Yeah. When you're sitting on $4 million or $40 million of Bitcoin, you have to say, hey, I have, you know, and that puts you in a curious spot. That's yeah. why cash is different than assets. And I, under, and I understood that, and that came natural to me. Yeah, because humans love social signaling. It's a core part of being a human. It, it's the corest. The, you know, like, like to me, communication is what human beings are completely predicated on. It's why I bet the farm on social media, I knew. I knew that there was no way we were gonna let it be a fad. And it's the same way that I know that NFTs will not be a fad. Now, much like social, much like Internet 95, when I first got in and launched winelibrary.com in 96 and 97, which was crazy early to launch a liquor store's website. This is my third cycle back to pattern recognition in 10,000 hours. My biggest concern is that I know 98, maybe even 99% of the current projects of NFTs will be negative investments for the people that view them as long-term investments. You know, I think that I think that it's not sustainable around supply and demand. And we haven't even seen the greatest intellectual properties enter the space properly. We've not seen Pokemon go properly yet. We haven't seen Star Wars go properly Disney, yet. Yeah, Disney. Disney go properly, right? And so uh, and by the way, not to mention most sports outside proper football a little bit with so rare and obviously the NBA with Top Shot, but we still don't have the NFL. We have a baseball product on wax which, you know, is, yeah, is okay. And in soccer, they've got a bit on chilies and, so, you know, that Socios project. But, you know, music. I mean, where's Jay-Z's first NFT or Elvis Presley? So we are in the dawn, dawn, dawn of all of this, and people are spending a lot of money on tokens, on intellectual property that has a very high-risk outcome. You know, I, I've, I've jumped into a couple of projects recently, more more because I just want to support more diversity in the NFT space. You know, I, I'm really enjoying some of the female-led projects, some of the minority-led projects. I think it's important to, because we, you know, collectively, you know, I, I get an incredible high, my friend, on the email of, hey, you showed me this world. Teaching someone how to fish has been oh, my life. Best. I enjoy it. And so, you know, it's tough, though, with something this new, because you're yelling at one thing, hey, this might be the big, big, big thing for the next two decades, comma, 99% of these things are going to fail. So what's the entry point? You know, it's a very tricky game. I mean, I totally agree. So what gives you the bravery to jump and say, I'm going to try this out? Because that first step is the dangerous step, because as you say, it's so nascent right now that you don't know yeah. where it's going to go. We've all got some ideas and we'll get into that. But how, why did you take the first step or how? Well, lack of fear. You know, I think uh, with me, friends, it was uh, right before Valentine's Day, I remember. So it was like maybe the 13th or the 12th. And I just had that eureka moment. I felt at that point I was ready. I knew enough. I knew exactly what I wanted to do. Dutch auction, on-chain, you know, uh, utility-based heavily to hedge, you know, the fact that I wanted to build a 40-year intellectual property that I'm gonna do cartoons and video games and sweatshirts and toys. And, you know, I, I jumped in because I knew I wasn't gonna lose. And more, and more importantly, much more importantly, I knew that I was willing to die before I would let the people that invested in it early on lose. I knew that I was willing to shut down everything. That if, God forbid, I didn't see something or something was off, that I was willing to stake my entire reputation on the project. And that is why I did it, because I knew that I would go to zero, have a far less fancy life, 
to rest assured that the people that went in won. Because this is a key point that I've got with the space is many people come to the NFT space to extract value. They think they've got a community. The first thing they do is that as opposed to having any utility or any community value proposition, they just take money out of the community. And we saw that with like the Kings of Leon um, and a few of these, suddenly it collapses, right? Because what you've just done is take money from the community, give nothing in return, apart from giving one single person a product. And the idea is you have to build value. You have to build real meaningful community value for it to have true value. That's right. I think that I was very comfortable with some of the cynicism from the OG NFT community when I announced it or when I launched it, because I understood I didn't have the audacity to think that they should have spent 20 or 30 or 15 or 10 hours on who I am, what my track record was, how I've done things. You know, I, I'm, I'm stunned by people's anger. You're not entitled to people putting in that kind of work. And I knew that it would take five hours, 10 hours for somebody to really understand that over the last 15 years, all I've done is the reverse. All I've done is given more to my community than I've asked for in return, which is an incredible formula for an that's NFT been your project. Business, that's been your business model. It's been my business. And, and it's been based on this concept of 5149. I have always felt that I was talented at such a level that if I was able to get 49% of the value of any interaction, that I would have plenty. And so it's an incredibly simplistic mindset, but it's, it's, it, it's allowed me to have a far better reputation with anybody who's actually ever interacted with me than the perception. And, and that's what one can only hope for. Too many people walking around Earth right now who have good reputations on social media, but not with the people that actually interact with them. And I love what my reputation is with the people that interact with me. And I knew that I was gonna bring that to the table. And I knew what is happening now was gonna happen, which was 60 days, 100 days, 600 days, 1,000 days later, one by one, the individuals that took a shit on me or who spit at it, you know, if they had the humility and if they were gracious, would come out and say, and I've been, I've been incredibly flattered. It, it, it mean, I'll say this. It means the world to me. When a stranger shits on me and says I'm the worst, I don't even hear it. But I'd be lying if I didn't say, and I don't get the accolades either. When people think I'm the greatest, I, I don't get high. But I, I'd be lying if I didn't say, when somebody comes out and says, I thought you were a fraud or this was a rug pull or a cash grab or you were just another one of those and I've had a little bit of time to look into this, wow, or kudos or hat tip, it means a lot. It means a lot to win someone's respect who has a bad feeling towards you and I enjoy that feeling. And people have got to understand that you particularly put yourself out as the product. So if you were to betray that, you've lost all trust and integrity in which case your brand goes to zero. So you're highly incentivized to absolutely make sure it goes as well as you possibly can. Nothing can all be guaranteed as a success. The day before VFriends launch is I'm at the height of my financial life. And that is completely built on my reputation. Yeah. So I think to your point, and it's very clear to me that you have a good sense of this, um, I had everything to lose, but that was the best part because I knew what I said to you was true, which was there just was no outcome. If for some miraculous reason, 87 things went poorly that led to a shit show, I was gonna give everybody their money back. I, there, there's no outcome where my reputation doesn't trump my bank account. 
And that's not saying you think that the tokens can go up or down in value, but it means that you're there to guarantee the rug pull that this is not that. It doesn't go wrong. You know. It's whatever the reverse in this space of a rug, a rug pull is, is exactly how I went into it, which was I was going to backstop it financially if something, if again, many things out of my control went horribly wrong that I couldn't have saw. I also know that I'm going to make Empathy Elephant and Patient Pig and you know Entrepreneur Elf literally commercial successes. Talk me through the vision. So you, you create the characters, you create the NFTs. What are you going to do with all of this? Where is this going for you next phase? I'm going to build Disney over the next 40 years. I'm going to make people care about my characters, whether through video game form, whether through book form, whether through iPhone game, whether through VR, whether through commercials, TV, brand deals, cereal, candy. You know, I am an incredibly well-positioned individual to do so because of the way my actual business life works. So what you've essentially done is lay out your stall for a vision of the future to say, look, there's a great business opportunity here to do this. People can get a share in the value of that network that you're going to create. And then you're going to go and create that. And That's right. if it works. This was, this, was the, this was the first time that people had an opportunity to invest in me, in theory. Right? Yeah, exactly and, right. And, and for me, what I really like, and this is where NFTs really caught my attention. Let's say we're trucking along. My intent is that these are the original Disney cells. Let's start there, right? Yeah. There's no commercial rights. There's not, you know, these are Disney cells, right? The original drawings. It's why I drew them. I wanted it to have the real provenance, like truth, right? These characters from my drawings will develop into things that are far more beautiful for film and television and, and merchandise, right? In 12 years, if I'm trucking along with this project and I don't like the price of the tokens, I don't feel that my community has extracted enough value, that the rookie cards are just not worth as much as I had hoped for them, even though the enterprise is making hundreds of millions of dollars in these other activities in merchandise, IP extraction. Well, I, I am in control. I can do a movie deal that is direct to, you know, that has huge economics. Finally, it hits. I have my big thing. And if I decide that I want to give 20% of the box office to my token holders, I can. You know, and that kind of, that kind of power um, to support your community is extremely attractive to me because I have the ability to make this community whole if I don't like where it's at. Now, the lucky part is for me is I did a lot of things well. And Jim and everybody at NFT42 deserves a lot of credit. I did a lot of listening. I'm very happy I went Dutch auction. It, you know, it, it allowed a lot of people to get in. I also like that it was that my I had a glitch with my MetaMask and the gas fees looked high. And because it was a Dutch auction, a lot of things started tracking down. I also like the fact that the far majority of the people that actually bought it were people that I put into a Discord months earlier, educated them on ETH, MetaMask, you know, OpenSea. So what I have now is a stunning percentage of the people holding the tokens were non-crypto native individuals. You know, I'm very proud, especially as I watch all of them now diversify and get into all these other projects. There's not a lot of people in 2021 who've brought brand new people to the space. You know, and I, I take a lot of pride in that. And I think that is really going to be my legacy 
over the next 24 months between my public appearances, where my brand goes into different places, my impact of working with brands with Vayner NFT, my consultancy company. You know, I, I, I have a lot of pride in this statement. I think I'll be at the top of the list of the humans that brought more people into the space, which inherently helps everyone. How are you thinking through, when I look at this space, I think the biggest thing that's coming is community tokens overall. So even when I look at, you know, Facebook DM that's coming, right, people think it's the stable coin, it's actually the world's biggest community token. Yeah, that's it won't right. go up and down in value with the value of the network. But that's where this is all going, right? You can coalesce massive groups of people with a community token, share the economics, and it drives network effects. All they want to do is promote you and the product. In theory, it's actually a very simplistic concept, right? If you decentralize, well, what's left? The humans that create the demand and the community that it supports. That's right. Right? So for me, all those people who cashed in for a quick, this is why patience is the greatest gift. I, to me, my ability to run a marathon versus a sprint, my Think about, think about, I mean, the sheer economics of the people that have already won on my play, and I haven't even launched the three super conferences yet, and all the things I'm actually doing. You know, hopefully in three or four years, to your point, I fully agree with you, hopefully in three or four or five years, when that becomes more obvious to everyone, my friend, and becomes more real, you know, if I have a project under my, under my belt that created extraordinary returns for the people you know, that made that bet, it surely puts me in a very good spot to get to the next level of scale. And I fully believe that's what's gonna happen. And I feel like the trust of sovereign nations to create currencies that happened long, long, long ago will now happen around human individuals. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And around these communities. And I, and I think, it disrupts so many people. It takes out so many middlemen en route. And the other thing, it and, and generates, puts that money back into the community. And it's, it just creates very powerful future economics for all of this. When everybody's incentives are aligned, that, that's extraordinary. What it's going to do for these people. It's extraordinary. What it, what it requires is the people that start the movement, the IP, the music, the book, the recipe, whatever it is, it requires them to be able to create demand and LTV. And so I think one thing that a lot of artists need to be very careful of is this sounds tremendous. Everybody in the middle is getting cut out and I, I in my community get to have the economics. There is an incredible skill that is associated with actually building a community. There is a, there is a level of bringing such deep inherent value. And then by the way, and you know this, don't get confused by following count. If you're just extremely attractive, and that's why you have 11 million followers on Instagram, that's not necessarily gonna put you in a position to create an economy around yourself. You know, for me, I was very unique. I've spent the last decade creating free content that has impacted people to win mentally or financially without very little ask in return creates a very different relationship than somebody who, had, if I was had great abs and never had a shirt on and had a 10 of 10 face, you know, that's a very different relationship. That's right, because 
it's not adding necessarily value. It's adding pleasure because somebody wants to see somebody with, with good apps. But yeah, and escapism is an incredible value proposition. I will tell you, in my most stressed days, going to Netflix and watching stand-up comedy brings me incredible value. Yeah. It really does. I'm just not sure that I want to support Dave Chappelle's economy. Not because, by the way, I think Dave Chappelle is, and the reason I use him as example, he might be one of the most thoughtful, bright comedians I've ever seen in my life. I just don't have a great sense of, is he willing to put in the time to his community, you know, create access, create a monster, monster relationship graph, know how to build intellectual property that scales outside of him. Those are very, 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 very different realities. Because most people have a one-way relationship with their audience, they push content out and then get paid for it. That's it. That's right. And, 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 and don't forget what famous people are accustomed to. They're accustomed to taking a big bag up front and then an organism in the middle is actually figuring out those economics of leveraging the upfront, right? You know, what's been so great about my career is I've always done things for myself, but even when I play that role, let's say in my book life, I always know that I don't like my deal with my book publisher. But I've used it historically as an upfront cash flow model for me because I was pouring all my money back into building my businesses. But today, as somebody who just finished their final book of their book deal, HarperCollins is gonna have to come to me with a very aggressive offer to take me out of the equation of launching my next book as an NFT. You know, I mean, why? I mean, because they're, instead of them being my upfront money, I can easily, you know, NFTs are absolutely now the, the funding mechanism to projects. Well, it gets rid of VCs, essentially. Like, we are I think so. Right? We, at Real Vision, we've raised all the money we've ever raised at Real Vision, about $60 million, has only come from our members. We've never taken outside capital. There's and no reason to. That's the power of community. Now, if you tokenize, you have direct access to the capital of your community. What I love about it, too, and it was funny where my brain just went, I, I'll go there again because I don't think people talk about this. I love this idea of coming through for my community no matter what. Let me give you an example. This is very interesting, actually. I have hated raising money my whole life. I've done it a couple times for a couple startups and it's been the worst experience. I don't like asking for money. So much so that both times, Resi and Empathy, Resi, the restaurant app I sold to Amex, and Empathy, the wine brand DTC that I sold to Consolation, both times I secretly had a bank account that had the entire capital raise sitting in cash in, in case I had to, so, what I like about NFTs, though, is I would feel much more comfortable doing that. I'll tell you why. Once they own the token, I can work for them forever. I could fail on my book, on my restaurant, on my startup, and still come back and say, hey, if you still hold the Empathy Wine token, go connect in here and now you're getting 20% of my speaking fees in 2024. Like I'm in control of always making good. So I think people like myself, organizations like me, humans like me actually are in a much better place because I never ever felt great about raising capital, but selling an NFT that has a functionality to something I'm doing, that even if that thing fails, my ability to come back and say, I'm gonna do this, is an incredible, incredible opportunity. But the other thing that somebody brought up to me the other day is the fact that 
because it's on the blockchain, this stuff never dies. So you're 90 years old and you're still owing value to those NFTs. It's, it's quite scary. It's, it's literally the best. I, I'll tell you, one of the things I'm most excited about, most excited about, is the idea of buying some NFT, NFTs that launch today in 31 years. Like, I've always talked about refurbishing old IP. What if Ford Ape Yacht Club doesn't make it? And let's say it's dormant for 20 years. No different than the A-Team or Happy Days or Smurfs. You know, it's been so hot during this special year for NFTs that I bet you in 22 years, if I bought that up and refurbished it, and reminded people of the great year of 2021, the way toys work, the way nostalgia works. So I'm already, I mean, it's the reason I'm buying up curio cards, right? They're incredibly underpriced, in my opinion, for the ability to eventually, and maybe something pops up because the archeologists are still looking, but as of this point, if that truly is the first NFT project, the, you know, compare those prices to CryptoPunks there's an incredible opportunity of that being in, you know, and by the way, that might be somebody in 11 years saying, wait a minute, and they're the Madonna, they're the Michael Jordan, they're the LeBron James, they're the whoever of that era saying, wait a minute, Curio Cards is first, this is the coolest, I'm putting this on all my clothes, I'm getting a tattoo, you know, the Post Malone, a little Uzi Vert of that moment, or the Kardashians of that moment, you know, and that's amazing because that's the beauty of authenticity on the blockchain. And also the policy, the, 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 the value of nostalgia, considering we've just had the biggest age demographic of all time, the millennials now, we've seen what the boomers did to anything versus their generation. These millennials, this is their prime time, right? They're earning their money. They've got their group of pop stars that they love, that they grew up in. All of this is going to be worth a fortune to them in future because it'd be the story of their lives. I think that's right. I think that you're also talking about Gen Z coming up the ranks where they only know about spending money to get a Fortnite skin, to get a Roblox upgrade, to get Madden points, to get NBA 2K points, to There isn't a 15 year old or under in the world right now that doesn't understand the logic of Mom, Dad, give me your credit card. I would like to spend actual money to get these points in this environment where I have my social currency. I have my identity wrapped up in. And if I can, you know, they would rather get a $100 skin in that game than a $100 pair of sneakers. They probably want both because they're kids. Once that hits scale, that was always my point about social media. My point in 2012 to a lot of people was, you do understand there's an entire generation right now being affected and they're gonna be 24 years old and they won't know any different and that's where we're living now in 2021. You know, we've got an entire generation of 24 year olds who started with social media at 11 or 12 or 13. It's just their life. NFTs are just the completely scaled version of video game and gaming dynamics that have completely and utterly penetrated everybody on earth under 15 so they'll only live in this reality when they're 25. So that's the next question is you're obviously thinking, um, knowing you for the short period that I've known you, you're absolutely thinking about the metaverse as well. 
because that's where this is all going. How are you thinking of that? Because you know, obviously I'm you're creating these it. characters. They're not going to live on a cinema screen. They're going to live in the metaverse. That's right. And, and I'm a big fan of both. You know, I'm a big and versus or guy. You know, I wa- you know one thing for everybody who's listening, because I know a lot of people are going to tune in given our two worlds. This concept of or is devastating. You know, when, when you're long Bitcoin, and you should be, but if you're spending most of your time shitting on any alternative coin, that's bad energy spent. I'm watching all these people in NFTs saying kumbaya, kumbaya, but the second that somebody promotes an, an NFT that they're not a part of, they shit on it. And it's so fascinating it's to me. Wrong. It's just it's wrong. It's wrong. It just, it's a bad way to play. Uh, it doesn't work out in the end. Nonetheless, uh, you're exactly right. And the w- way that I'm doing that is I'm already, you know, I've done a couple of interviews in the metaverse. I'm spending a ton of time with uh, Facebook. I think Facebook is way out in the head. Talk about a potential underpriced arbitrage. Yes, I've been talking about this forever. Facebook. They're with- so far ahead. And if you know who Andrew Bosworth is, Boz, who's leading kind of the Oculus VR8, like he is. Somebody's going to introduce me to him today, actually. I, uh, that's amazing. Enough. He's so talented, it's scary. He's truly one of the few people I've met in business in 25 years that I would blindly bet on. That gives me triple confidence. I, you know, I've been looking at Facebook at $375 a share lately. And again, I told you earlier, I'm not that guy. I don't understand Wall Street. I don't understand this. But knowing what they're up to there, I'm like, hmm, they are so far ahead. They own Instagram. So they have this contemporary scaled machine it, if they nail their timing, it's going to be a windfall. And so you're right. I've been spending you know a ton of time with them, you know, to give you a little exclusive, quite a bit about how VFriends shows up in that world. And I'll be there two years early because the space is big. But what I'm really good at and what I really do focus on is timing. So when I say I'll be there two years early, I'll be flirting with it. I'm already having Metaverse, Oculus, Decentral. Like I'm already doing plenty of things. The thing that everybody saw for me in January of this year where I'm like, ta-da, NFTs, that may be three years away because I don't like to do that until I think that there is a scaled consumer event going on. Why? Because if people jump in, when you're too early, you lose the most. And here's why. When you're too early, you're going to lose on the economics and the opportunity. And then the reason I say you lose the most is because then it really hurts three years later when it happens. Yeah, exactly right? right. I saw a kid tweet today. He said, guys, I'm really mentally struggling. I had a $35,000 position on Axie Infinity three, four, six months ago, whatever he, what he said. He goes, it's worth you know $1.3 million right now. And I'm a young kid with no money. I'm really hurting. And it just, it hit me about timing, you know, which is like, and, and, and really this one's different because social, When I was talking about social, it was about building brand, the most important thing in the world. The problem with NFTs is you're talking about transactional money. So the way that a a sentence, maybe even a comment we make in here, the way that triggers really scares me. It makes me not want to talk. You know, I really don't, I'm I'm very fearful of the platform that I have. I have, and even though I say 98% are gonna fail, and even though I say every day, Please only put money into this that you can afford to lose. This is an extremely high risk category right now for a million reasons. Regulation, supply and demand issues, timing. We're in internet 95, 99, like it's early. 
even though I say all these things, I know if I say, hey, I like Fame Lady Squad, and these are really good art, and I love more female projects, that potentially hundreds, if not thousands of people go and buy them blindly, even though, ev- please do your own homework. I'm always wrong. I say all these things at nausea, but people don't hear it. I have the same issue, and it's really, it's scary, and you have to, I have to take it very responsibly to say, listen, I don't know. I think I know, and I've got a lot of experience, but I don't know, and I could be wrong, and I'm wrong a lot. And, you know, because, you know, people carry their hopes and dreams, particularly in a space like this that's so new and moving so fast, people really want to be involved, and I get that. But, you know, as you say, you've got to do your own homework. There's a way to be involved, right? There's an incredible way. It's called spend money that you can afford to lose. I mean... Wax is an incredible blockchain with incredibly good nostalgic IP with very low costs. You don't have to go buy a $3,000 ETH, you know, launch token or $800, you know, 0.35 as we saw with Stoner Cats or even with VFriends was very expensive because I attached, you know, what in essence is going to end up being $15 million worth of three-year events for me. So I really need to generate dollars. And, And there'll be more, I think as people dissect VFriends over the next three or four years, six to 12 months, I think more people will, will look at it and understand it. And I think you'll have more expensive NFT projects because it's not just about the art. Right now you have a flooding of people that have copied Board API Club's naming dynamics. And now you have skinny snail Thursday club. And you have like extremely happy hamster crew. And, you know, and everyone's, and you've got, and there's very little underneath other than We'll let you share in the economics. Well, guess what? Owning 50% of something that's worth zero is zero. 99% of these people are not going to be able to make their IP mean something. And what is bad about this space is everybody will lump everything in together. So we know Correct. that one of these Correct. big projects is going to go to zero. Correct. And they will go to you and say, see, Gary, it's all a bunch of shit. You're just conning people. And this is the annoying thing. And I'll say... If I was making content in 1999, when I told everybody the internet was the most important thing that had ever happened in our lives, and the stock market collapsed, and it was death on Wall Street, and everybody who invested in Pets.com shares went to zero, I would say, okay, but guess what? Amazon's five bucks a share. I think you should buy it. Yeah, exactly right. Because when you look back on the chart of the NASDAQ back in 2000, it's feel really dramatic. It now looks like a little small bump on the road. Because what came after it was in that. And I think what keeps me calm at night, lets me put my head on my pillow, is there is no way NFTs or if, the, by the way, the word NFT could change. That's how early we are. Oh, yeah. You know, we called, we called social media Web 2.0, right? We, we called the internet the information superhighway. We used to say, go to HTTP colon www. Like, I don't care what you call it. I can tell you right now that in 2039, People will use digital assets the way they use physical assets to communicate to each other, and there's no doubt in my mind. And physical assets will also be recorded on the blockchain as tokens as well. So we could all buy a property together in Manhattan that's a $50 million apartment and share it amongst 100 people. And, you know, all of this changes dramatically. In a real, in a, you know, your, your point there was funny, back to Aaron Battalion, his first point was leases, mortgages. Like when he was explaining the smart contract, it just blew my mind. I'm like, this is incredible. Like, yeah, I don't think we've even begun to, to innovate. How about this? How about if you're lucky enough today to sit with an incredibly unusual property, like a home? Let's That's just right. say you're an extremely wealthy person and you have just a very unique home. 
Well, I think you blockchain it and when you sell it, you put in a royalty that says you make 2% on every transaction of this home in perpetuity. Potentially you agree. Like, right? like I built my house here in Little Cayman and you know, maybe eventually. Why wouldn't you? Like I can tell you right now, if you decided to sell it, let's say we became friends over the next 15 years and I wanted to buy it for some reason, right? When you're like, hey, by the way, there's a 1% royalty in the contract, it's not gonna matter to me. No. But I'll tell you who it's gonna matter to, your great, 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 great grandchildren when it changes hands for the fifth time and for some reason they get a $800,000 check in the mail or an $80,000 check in the mail, they're gonna be awfully happy with great, 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 great granddaddy figuring out why he understood the blockchain. The other thing I'm looking at is also IP rights. So let's say you're a pop star, you've just started your career, and to your community, you sell the first year's IP rights. You share in them. And you, they pick the song that they think is going to be a hit. There's going to be millions of people on TikTok trying to explode the content, getting it everywhere, because that's their job. In that, I, cu- I, I couldn't agree more. I, early on, back in December, January, early on, six months ago, I was trying to explain it to friends. I was like, okay. I had one friend very into music. I said, you know how you like find new bands and you love that and you take pride in it and when they get big, you get upset and they, <laughs> they've sold out. I go, you're not gonna care. You're not gonna be upset anymore. He goes, what do you mean? I go, let's play it out. Let's say Nirvana decided to give up 20% of their IP in NFT form to fund them so they didn't have to sign a record deal. Let's say today that you were one of those earliest fans in the grunge movement in Seattle and you bought some tokens. Let's say today, every day you wake up and you look at your bank account and Spotify because Teen Spirit is being streamed as many times as it is every day and you own 0.3% of the royalty that they're getting. This is gonna be the greatest revolution of people being able to support artists they love and actually make incredible economics for being right. But also it makes culture an investment. And it's also because of the way- Well, by the way, by the way, let's stop there right now. I just wanna make sure everybody who's listening, and obviously if you're listening, at least half of you, because I'm sure I'll bring plenty of people to this, your your incredibly handsome, smart host here just said the only thing that actually matters. And it's the reason I'm so in. The only thing I've ever understood is the stuff that's unseen. The reason the black and white of finance world never clicked for me is because I was the best at gray, and I understood it so well that it just became my passion and my, my obsession. When, when our great host here says what he just said, and that's why I had to jump in. And there's a lot of ramifications about this, by the way. You know, there's a whole counter to what we're about to say that will play out 20 years from now that will change the world in a way that you can't imagine. The purity of culture has been incredible because it wasn't economic between the end audience and the person. There was always something in between. But over the next 30 years, here's what will happen. First, in the first 10 to 15 years, is what we just talked about. Culture will become financialized. Value, community, brand, it will will become more literal. The back half of that 30 year period, people will start to gain that and the purity of it will actually have an issue. And that'll be very interesting to watch what that actually manifests. But let there be no confusion. That statement was the most important, as much as I've been yapping, the tokenization of culture is exactly right. It's the only thing I've been thinking about the whole time. And uh, it's gonna be a big fucking deal. 
It really is. It's the biggest thing. I've looked at this whole crypto space. I've been in it since 2012. And I've been excited about the whole thing. And all of it is less exciting than this tokenization of culture, the kind of NFT plus community stuff that's coming, plus the metaverse is like the biggest thing I've literally ever seen. I think that's right. And I think, you know, I... I don't know if I have more respect for the OG or enthusiastic Bitcoin community. You know, they get mad at me when I do podcasts, but I always say to them, please don't be mad. I'm genuinely, I'm actually complimenting. I think it's so big that I'm just curious what sovereign nations are going to do. I don't know what else to tell you. It's, you know, it's, it's actually the greatest compliment. It's not an insult. I don't not, not get it. I think I get it so much that I'm like curious because I think it's, you know, a big, big, big deal and really cool. And I love that. But I do think that what is a far bigger conversation is the tokenization of the gray of society, which I think is a quadrillion dollar industry. And I think we're in the pre-dawn of it. And I think the cat's out of the bag. And I think these next 30 years are going to be iconic. And hopefully we'll both be at the forefront of it. Yeah. And and hopefully for me, I'll be honest with you, I for a long time ago realized I was going to make all the money I ever wanted for myself because the truth is, the only number I ever had in my mind was $100,000 a year. I came from very humble beginnings. That was the only number that I really thought about. I definitely want to be at the forefront, but I want to bring the most people to the forefront so it completely changes their lives. And I, you know, one of the reasons I chose this podcast out of all the ones that I got bombarded with is uh, I, I really appreciate what I think you're doing for your community as well. And I understand how you navigate, which is probably why you understand how I nav- navigate. And I, uh, and I cheer for people like that. So thank you for having me on. I hope this discussion helped some people. And uh, this was fun. Yeah, thank you for coming as well. And look, you know, I think this is really important for people to understand. What is going on is a big opportunity and it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, everybody can participate. Yeah, I mean, look, at, look, look at Axie, look at Board APR Club. These are things that were incredibly inexpensive. And this is a very, this is a transcending half decade in front of us around this with, with the potential of an 18-month winter within it, which is going to be an incredibly fun thing to watch of people <laughs> who they have conviction and who doesn't. And so I just wish everybody great luck, but most importantly, do homework. Do not be influenced by me, him, or anybody else. Do your homework. Do your homework. Rely on your strengths. Make your own decisions and play with things that you can afford to lose. I I think the opportunity is real as well. Thank you, my friend. Thank you, my friend. Hey there. Since you got to the end, I'm guessing you liked the video. And that's probably because we don't just turn on a camera and film. We work really hard on getting the narrative flow just right. And that's why many finance companies are actually now hiring Real Vision to make videos for them. One of our recent client videos just hit 100,000 organic views on YouTube, and there were no kittens in sight. So if you want to find out how Real Vision can make a video for your company, just email us at customvideo at realvision.com.